0: Welcome to the WanderLearn podcast. I'm your host Francis Tapon. This episode is going to be unlike any other episode you've ever heard from me. That's because I will be interviewing the host and the creator of the best travel podcast out there. I call it The Radio Lab of Travel Podcasts. That's because if you're familiar with Radio Lab, it is a very well-produced show that integrates music, heavy editing, to distill the essence of a story into something that is so digestible and something that is so delicious to listen to. And that is exactly what my guest has done with his show. His name is Aaron Miller, and the show is called Armchair Explorer. Now, you might not have heard of it because it's a relatively new show. It has fewer than 30 episodes. If any show deserves to have a spotlight on it, it's this show. It is a delight. In Aaron's honor, I am going to produce this show kind of like he does it. Now, I'm not going to do it as well. It's going to be a crappy version. But it's just to give you a little sense of what he does. And that might encourage you to go listen to it. And by the way... If you guys really like the way this show is produced, let me know. And then maybe I'll do it more often, or maybe it'll be my regular thing, for God's sakes. I'll just be a copycat. But it's a lot of work. I interviewed Aaron for over an hour, and you're going to see how short this episode was because of all the editing I had to do to get it down to its essence. And this show was sponsored by The Athletic Brewing Company. More about them later. Let me introduce you to Aaron Miller the creator of the Armchair Explorer podcast. I start off our conversation by asking him his origins. And what was the genesis of his podcast? What was he doing right before he embarked on this ambitious journey to create such an amazing podcast? Here's what he said.
1: So uh, I was born in the States, uh, uh, but I moved to England as a, as a, as a young kid. Uh, and... Um, always loved the outdoors, uh, but I kind of took a detour into music. I actually, uh, I kind of grew up playing music. I always joke, I, uh, I'm a drummer, so I just hang around with musicians. You know, drummers get a hard time. Moved up to London. I'm originally from a town called Brighton on the south coast of England. You know those crazy moments in life where you just, suddenly things become clear, and I was like, you know, it was a great job i had a good you know good career a good salary and i i kind of left it all for this just to be a writer just to try and be a a, a freelance writer i i kind of said to myself i had that moment of realization i just turned 30 and i was like if i don't do this now i kind of saw the rest of my life going forward it was a great life it was a good life but but um you know i come from a family of writers and writing is really sort of my art form that i'm passionate about um and I just had one of those moments and I was like it's now or never you've got to go for it now so I kind of quit my quit my career my good paying uh, good paying job and took a right turn to be a kind of poor impoverished writer for for quite a few years but um but I loved it and I didn't mean to really get into to travel writing it's just kind of how it unfolded and and you know that was just a dream job for me it still is a dream job for me to to be able to go around the world and and obviously I, as an individual experience these things is incredible but to to be able to then share that with people and kind of share that inspiration and those incredible moments is is really what it's all about and um you know I write a lot about the outdoors and nature because I'm a I'm a big believer that the the first step in in conservation is actually just falling in love with the outdoors and connecting with it and remembering that You know, that's our home. That's all of our home. And uh, I think we, you know, in our modern lives and cities and all the rest, we can kind of become disconnected from that. We can forget about that. So, you know, if in a small way I can inspire people to, you know, get outdoors more, to to explore more, to kind of expand their horizons, then, uh, you know, then that's a really worthwhile thing for me to do.
0: Did you ever listen to the Freakonomics podcast hosted by Stephen Dubner? I certainly have, and I lo- love their episodes. And one time I listened to one of Stephen Dubner's interviews where somebody was interviewing him. They asked him about how he produces the show, and he said something that has always stuck with me, which is he didn't understand why shows like Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan are so popular because their shows are basically unedited. And he said something that I thought was so insightful. He said, When I write, because Stephen Dubner's a writer, I always edit it to death. I don't just put out my first draft. I always delete a lot of things that are extraneous. So why, when I produce a podcast, why wouldn't I delete the parts of the podcast that are uninteresting? And that got me thinking. And then all of a sudden I'm listening to Aaron's podcast... And I'm thinking to myself, huh, this guy nailed it with the Armchair Explorer podcast. And I asked him about how he approached his podcast creation. And he answered that question with a fascinating quotation.
1: There's a famous saying that, you know, uh, easy reading is hard writing you know it's it's hard to write something that flows and that's easy to read and it takes work right no one gets that off on a first draft i kind of wanted to to do something that was tight i really as a writer i think pace is so important you know you have to keep that pace Um, moving forward it can't be too quick I think then you lose people and it can't be too slow it can't have too much depth or too much information otherwise it kind of drags so getting that pace right is really important and I think that I've really tried to take that into, into the podcast into the show
0: It's so true and one of the things that reminded me of Radiolab when I listened to him is how he seamlessly integrates music throughout the show and it really adds a bit of depth to the show, and that reminds me so much about how Radiolab uses music as a way to add texture to the audio-only experience.
1: And comparing it to Radiolab, oh my God, you've just given me the biggest compliment in the world. I don't, I, I don't think that's ne- I don't. I mean, I think you're exaggerating. I'm not sure that's fair. But the, um, but that's definitely what I'm sort of aspiring to. I love those sort of shows. You know, they really show off the medium the potential of the medium because uh, you know it, we it, i think telling stories with music is such an emotionally powerful way to tell stories you know it just you know it's like if you watch a a Hollywood movie or whatever there's always that soundtrack and, and sometimes that soundtrack becomes invisible you know you get so wrapped up in the story that the soundtrack kind of just fades into the distance behind it but on that kind of raw visceral emotional level it's it's still hitting you and it's emphasizing those those key emotional points and those turns in the narrative.
0: I asked Aaron, what is it about podcasting that you like? You were a writer. Why have you put that career on hold, which was maybe not lucrative, but certainly paid the bills? Why did you go from that to podcasting? The
1: thing I love about podcasting, and I guess audio in general, is that it's like someone whispering in your ear. You know, it's like if you if you really get into a show and you and you and you kind of you develop a sort of bond with the host and and it's like them telling you that story privately alone.
0: Aaron Miller talked about the power of audio. You might think that video is better than audio. But that's not always the case, and he explains why.
1: great thing about audio rather than video is video is is really prescribed right it sort of tells you what you're seeing what you should be thinking and and, you know good video of course takes you away on a a journey Um, but there's I think there's less imagination involved and that's the key that's that's what makes a story come alive is when the the reader or the listener is able to engage with their with that story with their own imagination and when you do that it becomes a part of you it becomes partly your story it's like a relationship there's a famous quote I can't remember who said it if you tell me about Bob Dylan's lyrics that says everything about you and nothing about Bob Dylan it's a relationship right it's your interpretation once once that art that work is out there it's up to to you, the listener or the receiver of that to um, determine what that means and that, and that engagement makes it a, a really powerful medium for telling stories, I think.
0: Next, Aaron revealed his secrets about pacing and the importance of pacing audio correctly.
1: And that that comes back down to that that pacing, right? Like you can't you can't give too much information too quickly. It just becomes overwhelming. You just have you have to find a way to to sort of in certain places pace it quicker when it's just pure story, pure narrative. And then when there's moments of reflection, exactly that allow people to have a pause, Mm -hmm. a moment. And you know, going back to that that music, I think so much. We think with our rational brains. You know, I'm a rational person, of course, but. But so much of, of our mental life is also emotional, right? And, and I think that, you know, words can quite often go directly to that sort of rational part of your brain, whereas music kind of bypasses that whole circuitry, if you like, and just goes straight to the emotion. And I think that that's just a different way of processing information and, and just as powerful a way too.
0: It's a one-hour interview he has, and guess how long it takes him to take that one-hour interview and make it into a 30-minute episode.
1: I love it, but it, I mean, it takes a long, a long time. It takes me about 40 hours to, to make an episode. Um, so it's, it's a lot of work, but, but I feel like it's it's really worth it. I think it's, I would say it's the, creatively, it's the most fulfilling thing that I've, I've done in my career so far is put, put this show together. Isn't that outrageous? I just can't believe it. It's so incredible that this
0: guy, because of his musical background, he doesn't just spend maybe hours looking for the perfect track, but he actually goes deeper and tries to isolate a certain instrument or a certain riff and take out all the other instruments just because he's that much of a perfectionist. It's crazy. It's crazy. And yet that labor of love that he does it ends up producing something beautiful
1: yeah it's it's crazy you can get it's a rabbit hole man i tell you what it is a rabbit hole like once you get get into it you can lose the hours and you're just picking out these little elements and cutting them and looping together
0: i like to watch movies sometimes with subtitles and when i want to determine if the subtitles are on or not I actually skip ahead in the movie. Let's say it's on my computer, so it's easy to just click on a random part of the of the film and you jump to that spot. And I find something fascinating whenever I do that. Whenever I click ahead, oftentimes there's no dialogue. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I'll just click ahead again. Nothing. Click another random part of the movie. It's just music. Or, <laughs> and I like, realize, God, a large percentage of a Hollywood movie... There is no fucking dialogue. Nobody's talking. It's just mute music, <laughs> and it's just the mood, it's the feeling, and it's communicating also through. Now, of course, we don't have in a podcast the, the the advantage of a Hollywood movie or any movie, which is of course the visual medium. But the point is, is that we don't necessarily have to plow always with talk, and that's what you do and Radio Lab does, which is give the listener a chance to digest what you just said have a little pause and break it up with a little bit of music so that they kind of contemplate it doesn't have to be long but that's what I think you do so effectively especially after a very profound thought that you just articulated or your guests just articulated and the other thing that you said Aaron that kind of resonated with me is this idea of allowing the listener to imagine things. And that's why I think so often when people read a book and then they finally go see the movie, they're often disappointed because their imagination is so much more vivid and so much more real, I suppose, than the actual movie itself. And then so oftentimes people are disappointed when they actually see the the, the, the real thing, the produ- the production version of the story. Doing what Aaron Miller has done with his podcast was a huge risk. Most people don't have those kinds of balls to really take a crazy risk like that and give up a significant income stream and throw it all away to podcasting. Podcasting is not lucrative unless you have tens of thousands of downloads per episode, which is very hard to get. So I asked him about that
1: leap of faith.
0: And the way he answered it was, talking about a word that i had never heard about
1: a lot of that fear comes down to um what we think other people will think of us you know there's a there's a great phrase i heard i can't take credit for inventing it but i love it and it's um it's called fopo you know fomo is like fear of missing out well fopo is fear fear of people's opinions We all suffer from FOPO. I mean, we are like, it's like this malignant virus that's infected us. We, we all care so deeply about what we perceive other people think about us. Um, and, you know, partly that's just being human, right? We're social animals and we've evolved to be social animals. And that, that means fitting into the tribe and, c- and caring about what the tribe thinks of us. but we can break out of that right it's like if you realize that what you're fearing is is not really what other people think of you it's it's the kind of emotion the feeling in yourself when you're sort of projecting onto them what what they might think of you so it, you know no one's opinion can harm you right it's just their opinion it only harms you if it if it really matters to you and so you can kind of take control of that if you want to do something like take a six-month sabbatical and go traveling around South America, right? People will say, "Oh my God, you're crazy! You'll never get your career back on track. You're going to lose all this money." Um, you know, p- you know, people just don't do that. Why? And that can be hard to overcome. That, but if that's really what you want, if you think that that's something that you that you personally can do, then it's it's sort of worth fighting that fopo a little bit and trying to just recognizing it, I guess, and. and and then throwing it out and tearing up the guidebooks and just and just heading off and going and trust that it will change you in positive ways. It will be an amazing experience. I just interviewed this guy and he quotes in his book, Dolly Parton, <laughs> you know, the, the, the wise old Dolly Parton. And she says, don't be so busy making a living that you forget to make a life.
0: What a great saying, isn't that? And we're all guilty of it at some point. It's so easy in life to get distracted by the mundane things that we need to do in order to make a living, that we forget our very purpose in life and what we want to do in our brief years on this planet. Aaron and I talked about some of the distinct joys of traveling, and I shared one of my favorite joys of traveling and one of the things I love to do while I'm traveling when I travel the world, I find it just as fascinating to see the differences between tribe to tribe, nation to nation, region to region, as well as the similarities. For example, of course, the love of family, which is just innate in our DNA that, you know, not just for primate DNA, but for basically almost most many animal species, certainly social animals, that we have that innate thing. So I just find it fascinating to see both what's changed what what evolves with the fluidity of morality and the fluidity of values, as well as the solidness of certain traits that are, you, you know, kind of not uniquely human, in fact, but just that that span the entire globe of humanity. And now we'll take a 60 second break to talk about our sponsor for this episode. This episode is sponsored by The Athletic Brewing Company, which makes yummy non-alcoholic beer. Now, before you disparage non-alcoholic beer, consider this. During the 2020 International Beer Challenge, the Athletic Brewing Company won Brewer of the Year for North America, and they only make non-alcoholic beer. Enjoy the refreshing taste of craft beer without the alcohol or the hangover or the beer belly. Last year, Athletic Brewing donated over $300,000 to trail restoration projects. With Athletic Brewing, you can even drink and drive. When the cop pulls you over for driving too slowly, you can say, Dude, I was just chilling drinking beer. Non-alcoholic beer, that is. Although you can't order beer by mail, you can order non-alcoholic beer by mail. So go to athleticbrewing.com, use the promo code WANDERLEARN20 to get 20% off your first order. Buy at least two six-packs, so you can get free shipping. That's WanderLearn20, with no spaces, to get 20% off. You should never ask a mother, which one is your favorite child? Well, I asked him the equivalent, which one out of all the 28 podcasts that you have produced so far is your favorite? And he struggled. He hemmed and hawed. I twisted his arm. Then I twisted it a bit more. And then finally, he gave me three answers.
1: So it's like I did this episode about the Sand bushman with this filmmaker who went out to Namibia to film this um, this last dance of the Sand bushman. These are the oldest, the uh, continually surviving people um, uh, in the world. You know, with a sort of genetic history of more than twenty thousand years of living. Um, in this you know the Kalahari desert and and around, and throughout all this time they 've been doing these healing dances, as is happening so often in in modern life now that young people don 't want to learn you know their shamans dances they don 't want to be part of that they they want iPhones and they want to be basketball players and you know, music stars or whatever, and so this group of old healers got together to perform their dance one last time, so it could be filmed and put into a, a community school that the um, skies building for the for the San Bushmen, so that the, basically the art form wouldn't be lost and that future generations could see it. And, you know, I love that story. I think it's an amazing story. And um, there's a lot of original audio that the guy recorded there of them singing and clapping and chanting and doing the dances. But then on the other side, you've got, like, you know, Ed Stafford, first man to cross the Amazon. And that is just an insane story. It's like an insane thing that someone could do. He spent two and a half years walking the entire length of the Amazon River, over 4,000 miles, um, through, you know, one of the hardest, most inhospitable Jungles on Earth, and dodging kind of narco drug traffickers, and you know he was attacked by indigenous Indians, uh, all sorts of you know, but ended up becoming friends with the chief of this tribe that attacked him and wanted to kill him, and uh, you know all these crazy things. And and you know we can't all walk the Amazon. My God, I would not many people would want to spend two and a half years getting eaten alive by mosquitoes and snakes and all the rest. But but I still think it's inspiring to hear that story. It's such an incredible. Achievement, And, you know, for Ed, he was very honest about how he had a breakdown during that journey because it, you know, walking alone for a good portion of that of that journey, you know, when you're really alone with yourself like that, it can be quite a hard thing just alone with your thoughts. And, and he had a breakdown in the middle of it. And it was really fascinating to hear him, you know, this kind of big macho explorer. He does all the sort of Discovery marooned shows and all of that. But talking about how the hardest thing about crossing the amazon was learning to survive himself and i think that's that's pretty amazing too just working on a story right now um this guy george bullard he's a, a british explorer kind of up-and-coming explorer he heard about this myth of the Finman. so basically in the 1700s on the north coast of Scotland, these documents of these people arriving in these strange canoes, and people that had, no one had ever seen before, and arriving out of this kind of endless ocean, no one knew how they, how on earth they got there. And, and sadly, you know, they came when they came in, they were, you know, half starving and half drowned, and, and they didn't survive very long. But there's all these records of of them, and there's a theory that that they might have found a way somehow from Greenland but um, because the descriptions of them were kind of descriptions of like Inuits from from, uh, Greenland but no one had proved it before so this guy decides to kayak from Greenland all the way to Scotland to try and prove this theory it's the most insane thing you've ever heard I mean he's he crosses from Greenland to Iceland which is you know no one's ever done that it's incredibly dangerous he paddles all the way around Iceland and then he has to cross the North Atlantic Ocean, which is, uh, it's called the Devil's Dance Floor. It's maybe the most dangerous stretch of sea, apart from maybe the Cape Horn it, it, on the planet. Like big fishing boats and ferries and all stuff like that won't go there. It's too, its the storms are too big, it's too dangerous. And he's doing this in a kayak five inches off the water. <laughs> <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Um, but, you know, needless to say, he survived and he had a lot of, crazy things that happened along the way Um, and he's a really funny guy too so yeah it's each one is different they're all like your baby they're all like your babies right like you love them all for different different reasons And, and hopefully I can make each story a little different
0: and that my friends gives you a taste of what Aaron Miller does for every one of his episodes in closing I asked him to help you find him online.
1: The website is armchair-explorer.com and uh, the social media is at Armchair Explorer podcast. So on Instagram mostly, but also a bit of Facebook. So um, yeah, come and hang out. If you, like, if you like travel and adventure, we'll get on well. Great. Well, I
0: hope you get a ton of subscribers. I don't have a ton of the subscribers myself, but they are people who love to travel. I wouldn't have you on if I didn't think they would love your podcasts, and I'm sure everybody will. Please subscribe to Armchair Explorer. And thank you again, Aaron, for doing the great work that you do. And I hope you get a million subscribers by 2022. Well, what did you guys think? I would love to hear your feedback. This episode took me a lot longer to produce than my typical episode, which is just I record a conversation and I just do some light editing, upload it, and write a description about the podcast, put an image up. It still takes me many hours to do that, but this took me significantly more hours. Was it worth it? Let me know. My email address is ft at francistapon.com. Become a patron. The more patrons I get, the more likely I'll produce shows like this. In continuing to experiment with this show and seeing if people like it or not, I'm going to take the advice of DC Cranky, one of my listeners, who said, how about at the end of every episode you answer questions? So that brings us to our new segment, which I will try to do in every episode from now on and see how it goes. And the segment is called Question Question of the the Week. week. This question is from Lubov. He's a Slovakian, I believe. He asked me three questions, so I'm going to bundle them all together because they're all kind of in the same vein. Number one, how many influenza deaths are there? Number two, what exactly is deaths with pneumonia, influenza, or? Or COVID-19 deaths, statistics counting? And number three, how is it possible that the media and everybody else gets away with calling COVID-19 deaths as those of COVID or from COVID? Boy, to begin with, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a statistician either. Still, I know how to read websites from John Hopkins and the World Health Organization, which estimates that between 290,000 to 650,000 people die of flu-related causes every year worldwide. So that's just, say, 300,000 to 650,000 worldwide deaths from flu, influenza. Pretty devastating. What are they actually counting? It's people who have gotten either pneumonia, influenza, or COVID-19, and that was the catalyst that kicked them over the edge to death. And by the way, that's a judgment call. Sometimes it's an easy judgment call that, for example, when my dad took a gun and blew his head off, you know, officially you could say that it was his heart. He died of heart failure because his heart stopped beating and that's what killed him. And my dad often joked, he said, that's how everybody dies. There's no such thing as dying of cancer because it's you die of your heart failure. <laughs> There's every death that you have, whether it's an accident or whether somebody shoots you, whatever it is, in the end, it's just your heart failing on you, and that's what's the cause of your death. So calling it the cause of your death, influenza or COVID-19, in some ways, if you want to be super technical and obtuse about it, you could say, well, it's not really what killed you. What killed you is that your heart stopped beating. I know this guy, and he loves to point out the fact that COVID-19 deaths are widely exaggerated. Somebody died with COVID-19. So he might have been, let's say, a 90-year-old person who had pneumonia and he died. And by the way, he also had COVID at the same time. So it would be chalked up as a COVID death. I agree with him that there certainly has been quite a bit of evidence indicating that such shenanigans go on. Sometimes it is motivated by money because you're going to get extra federal aid or state aid. The more COVID deaths you get. So, as a result, people are kind of motivated to chalk up as many COVID deaths as possible. So, somebody who gets into a car accident, for example, and dies, but then they do a blood test on him and, hey, he had COVID. So, he died of COVID. I realize that some of that stuff goes on. But my retort is but in Africa, for example, there's a ton of underreporting because they just don't test that much in Africa. Africa, it seems, that has very few incidents of covid but partly it's because covid has very similar symptoms as malaria which kills more people than than anybody else in africa so a lot of africans have no clue that they died of covid i remember when i was in guinea i saw a little boy and he had this really bad rash on his skin like horrible and i asked him what is that and he says it's a sickness i'm like yeah obviously but what kind of sickness he says i don't know just a sickness And other Africans, I would ask them, how did your parents die? They said, une maladie, you know, a sickness, that's what they would say. You know, he went ill. I asked "Rejoice, my wife, I said, hey, do you know how your parents died? Both of them died at 37 years old. She was an orphan at 14 years old. And she said, I don't know. My dad just got really skinny like a skeleton. Maybe he had AIDS. Who knows? We don't know. And her mother, a complete mystery. She died in her house but nobody really knows why she died. So my point is is that there's a lot of mystery in Africa as to why people died. There's very little diagnosis. So I'm not suggesting also that the overreporting of COVID in maybe some high-income countries is offset by the underreporting of COVID in some low-income countries. But to be so obtuse and really drill in this point is, I think, a waste of time. COVID is a serious issue. It is a pandemic. We ought to do our best to protect ourselves from it. At the same time, I think we've been too hysterical about it because it's not a plague that's going to kill a third of humanity like the Black Plague. It's not even as bad as the 1920 epidemic that ravaged the planet. We've, we're much better armed to defend it We have knowledge. Back in 1920, we didn't even know what DNA was, let alone being able to sequence something, let alone being able to come up with a solution in less than a year. A bunch of vaccine, a slew of vaccines. Being able to get PPE equipment out to the population. Being able to educate the population through mass media. All these things. They didn't even have barely, they barely had radio in 1920, for God's sakes, let alone television, let alone the internet. (laughs) So, We're so much more equipped to handle this thing, not to mention the fact that the actual virus itself is not that deadly. Less than, far less than 1% of the people who get it die from it. But at the same time, it's no joke. I think we're exaggerating our reaction to it, but at the same time, I wouldn't go so far as this guy who kind of takes a conspiratorial view of everything and makes it sound like nobody's really dying of covid or from COVID or we just don't know and so let's just throw up our hands and give up that's my answer for the question of the week if you have a question for next week episode go ahead and fire it at me and I'll do my best to answer it tell me what you guys think of this episode about this format maybe including some music as I've done integrated and any other suggestions you may have as you know sometimes I interview people but sometimes I do solo episodes any feedback you have I love to hear from it. Again, it's ft at com, And don't forget to leave me a review and I'll read it on the air. This is Franc Stapon encouraging you to wander and learn.